Chapter 12 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 12 Rome and Carthage. Last of all the people in the south of Italy whom the Romans fought and conquered were the Greeks. For a long time the Romans left them alone, for they guessed that the Greek cities of Italy would ask help from other Greeks in Greece proper or some of the Greek colonies. This is what actually happened. One of the chief Greek towns in south Italy was Tarentum. It was built by men from Sparta in the days when so many Greeks sailed away from Greece proper and settled in Italy. It was a large and beautiful town, but for many years before it actually quarreled with Rome, it had been ruled very badly. It was not like Sparta, an aristocracy, but was a democracy of the worst sort. The people had no idea of keeping their tempers and acting wisely. When they were angry, they would do anything to take revenge on their enemies and never thought whether it was just or not. They were very jealous of the Romans and afraid that they would conquer them as they had conquered the other peoples of Italy. But instead of going to war in a straightforward way with Rome, the people of Tarentum did a very mean and wrong thing. A Roman fleet had sailed into their harbor and was lying there peacefully. The people of Tarentum rushed suddenly upon the ships. The Romans were taken by surprise, and five of the ships were easily taken by the Tarentines. The men on them were either killed or sold into slavery. The people of Tarentum, frightened of Rome, sent across the Adriatic Sea to the little kingdom of Epirus to ask its king, who was a Greek and a relation of Alexander the Great, to come and help them against Rome. Pyrrhus was the name of this king, and he was so handsome and brave and such a fine soldier that it has often been said that he was nearly as wonderful a man as Alexander the Great. But this is not quite true. He was a fine soldier and could win battles, but he had not the imagination to make much use of them. He would win at all costs, but often lost so many men that winning did not seem of any use. Even now we speak of a victory or a success of any kind which is not of much use to the winner as a pyrrhic victory. The First Fight Between Greeks and Romans Pyrrhus in his little kingdom of Epirus, which was really under the Macedonian power, was glad of the chance of going over the sea to fight for the people of Tarentum. He collected an army, and he took with him some elephants and crossed the sea to Tarentum. Near the town he fought with a Roman army under one of the consuls. The Romans had never seen elephants before, and partly because of the strangeness of an army like that of Pyrrhus, they were defeated. It was the first time that a Roman army had fought against Greek soldiers, and the Greeks won. 
but it was only an accidental victory, and the Romans were much too used to winning and too sure of their own strength to think much of it. When Pyrrhus sent a messenger to the Senate to try to arrange conditions of peace, one of the senators, Appius Claudius, who was old and blind, persuaded the Senate to send a message back to Pyrrhus, telling him proudly that the Romans never talked of peace with foreign soldiers on her land. So next year another battle was fought, and again it was a Pyrrhic victory, and Pyrrhus then left Italy and crossed to Sicily, where the Greek colonies were fighting once more with the Carthaginians. He helped the Greek cities there, but as he himself seemed to treat them as a conqueror, they turned against him, and so he went back to Italy. Once more he fought against the Romans, but this time he was defeated and went back to Greece. Three years afterwards, he was killed in a fight after taking part in several of the struggles which were still going on among the Greek states. After his departure from Italy, Tarentum soon became an ally of Rome, which sounded as though she was still free, but she had to pull down her walls and join Rome in her battles if she was asked to do so. In a short time, Rome had conquered the whole of South Italy. She soon began to think about conquering the island of Sicily, too. This island was so near to Italy that it would be very dangerous for the Italian state if it belonged to anyone else. At the time when Rome had won all the south of Italy and began to think about conquering Sicily, the island was still divided between the colonies of Carthage and those of Greece. For seventy years after the Greeks had won the great victory of Himera over the Carthaginians under Hamilcar, there had been peace between the two peoples in Sicily. But the Carthaginians had never forgotten Hamilcar, Seventy years after his death, a quarrel broke out between two Greek towns in Sicily. One of them asked the help of the Carthaginians, and Carthage gladly sent help over to fight against the town of Salinas. The chief ruler in Carthage was Hannibal, the grandson of Hamilcar. He was very pleased at the idea of fighting the Greeks in Sicily and winning, as he hoped, a great victory. He himself collected a great army from Africa and Spain, for the south of Spain had been conquered by Carthage and crossed over to Sicily. With his great army, he destroyed Salinas, killed thousands of its people, and marched on to Hymera to take revenge for the defeat of his grandfather seventy years before. Again, he won a great victory and destroyed Hymera. His soldiers murdered the people in the streets until Hannibal gave the order to stop. But the people who had not been killed immediately were treated even worse. They were taken to the place where Hamilcar had last been seen and there killed as a sacrifice. The Carthaginians, in spite of their wealth and power, were never really civilized. They offered sacrifices of men and women and even children to their gods. Hannibal now went home to Carthage, but four years afterwards was persuaded to go again to Sicily. 
This time he besieged the town of Agrigentum, even pulling up gravestones outside the town for his men to stand on when they threw their weapons into the city. But the plague broke out among his soldiers. Hannibal thought this was a punishment from the gods for his having touched the graves of the dead, and he immediately offered a sacrifice of a child, hoping that the gods would forgive him. But he fell ill himself and died, and in the fights which followed, the Greeks won. For 150 years after this, the Greeks and Carthaginians were at war in Sicily, though sometimes peace was made for years. Then at last, Rome was ready to interfere and take Sicily for herself. In any case, it was certain that now that Rome had become so strong, she would have a struggle with Carthage, the only other great power in the West, to see which should become, in the end, the greater power. The struggle began over Sicily, but after the island was won by the Romans, it went on for more than a hundred years until Rome had won all her lands from Carthage and completely destroyed that proud city itself. A town in Sicily called Messana, which is now named Messina, had been taken by some rough soldiers from the south of Italy. They were really robbers and had no right to the town. The people in the country near were very much afraid of them, and Hero, the ruler of the great Greek colony in Sicily called Syracuse, made up his mind to fight against Masana and drive the robbers out. The robbers asked help of Rome and of Carthage. The Romans knew that they ought to help Hero, who was their ally, but they were so afraid of Carthage getting power in Masana that they said they would help the robbers there instead. But some of the robbers let Carthaginian soldiers into Masana. These fought against the Roman soldiers, and so the great struggle began. Rome's First Ships The Carthaginians were so great by sea that the Romans knew it was on the sea they must fight if they were to win. But so far, Rome had never had a fleet. The Romans knew nothing either about building big ships. The only ships they had were the old-fashioned Greek boats with three rows of oars. The Greeks and Etruscans in Italy did know something about shipbuilding, and as these people were now really part of the Roman state, the Romans got them to help them to build new ships. A Carthaginian ship which was wrecked and washed up on the coast of Italy was examined and copied. A whole forest of trees was cut down, and a fleet of a hundred ships was made. But the Romans did not yet know anything about managing ships, and for many years after this, many of their ships were wrecked in storms because the sailors did not know what to do when danger or difficulty came. But they fought against the ships of Carthage and won great victories. They managed to do this by fighting at sea, much as they would have done on land. Each Roman ship had a kind of bridge with a great sharp hook at the end, and when a Carthaginian ship came near, the bridge was let down over its side, the hook caught it and held it fast, and then the Romans swarmed over the bridge onto the enemy's ship and there fought a hand-to-hand -hand fight. 
In the first sea fight between Rome and Carthage, 50 Carthaginian ships were destroyed. Then the Carthaginians would fight no more, and the Romans sailed proudly home, carrying the brass figureheads of their enemies' ships, which they fastened to a pillar which was put up in the Forum, the great marketplace at Rome, in memory of Rome's first victory at sea. Many more ships were built after this, and in a later battle we know that there were at least 300 ships on each side. After several years of fighting at sea and in Sicily, the Romans made up their minds to land two great armies in the north of Africa and fight Carthage at home. After another great victory at sea, the armies landed. The Carthaginians then sent messengers to discuss conditions of peace. But the Romans said they must not only give up to them the islands of Sardinia and Sicily, but they must also destroy their own fleet and send ships to help the Roman fleet when required. The Carthaginians were naturally very angry at such a request and determined to fight the matter out. The Romans were so confident that they called one of the armies back to Italy. The other was left under a brave commander called Regulus. He had a large army, but the Carthaginians got together a still larger one, and they had large numbers of horse soldiers. Regulus might have got horse soldiers for himself from some tribes which were in rebellion against Carthage, but he did not, and when the fighting took place, the Romans were defeated. Regulus was taken prisoner and later killed. A story is told, and it may be true, that he was sent to Rome with messages for the Senate, but he had promised to give himself up again to the Carthaginians if the conditions of peace which the Carthaginians offered were not agreed to by the Romans. It is told that Regulus himself persuaded the Senate to say no to these conditions, for the people of Carthage were now, in their turn, asking too much. So Regulus kept his word and went back to be killed. After this, too, the Romans were very unfortunate in their fights with the Carthaginians on the sea. The fighting went on for years. Altogether, the First Punic War, as it was called, lasted 17 years. In the end, peace was made, and Carthage agreed to give up Sicily and the small islands near it. Soon afterwards, when Carthage was having a great deal of trouble with some of the paid soldiers who had rebelled against her, the Romans suddenly seized Sardinia and Corsica too. At the time, the Carthaginians could not do anything, but Hamilcar, their ruler, who had made the peace with Rome, was now filled with a deadly hatred. He devoted the rest of his life to revenge. He saw that he would have a better chance of getting together an army of splendid soldiers if he went over to Spain. The people of Carthage were rather tired of the struggle with Rome and could not understand Hamilcar's feeling of deadly hatred for her. They were quite pleased when he proposed to go to Spain and devote himself to getting together an army there. There were already many Carthaginian colonies in that country, and Hamilcar conquered more and more of the land until there was a large new kingdom there. He drilled the Spaniards and made them into fine soldiers. For years he did this, 
content to prepare his revenge and leave it to others to carry out. When his little boy was only nine years of age, he told him solemnly all the wrongs which Rome had done to Carthage, and the boy swore an oath to avenge his country when he had grown to be a man. Hannibal the Great The boy, whose name was Hannibal, grew up to be one of the greatest soldiers who have ever lived. After his father's death, when he himself was a young man of twenty-six, he fought against Rome, and though Rome was now a great nation and Carthage was fast going to ruin, he almost won in the fight by his immense cleverness and courage. But he made two mistakes. He thought that the people of Italy, whom the Romans had conquered, would be glad to join him in fighting them. But this was not so. For the Italians had by this time settled down happily under Roman rule. He thought, too, that the people of Carthage would be anxious to send him help. But again, this was not the case. By this time, the Roman people had learned all about ships and shipping. They had a great navy, and so when the moment came for Hannibal to attack them, he chose to do it by land. He made up his mind to lead a great army out of Spain and into Italy across the Alps. It was early spring when the army began its march, and in the mountain passes the weather was bitterly cold. The men who guarded them went back to their homes at night, and so Hannibal chose to lead his army across in the darkness. Nearly all his horses and elephants carrying the baggage slipped down the steep precipices and were killed. Before the Alps were crossed, half of the men of his great army were dead, either through falling from the rocks or overcome by the terrible cold. The other half arrived in the plain of North Italy, tired out, but still full of courage and ready to fight. Hannibal was suffering from a terrible soreness of the eyes through great cold, and one eye became blind. The Romans did not know anything of Hannibal's plans until he had nearly reached the Alps. Then they sent an army to Spain to prevent him getting any more men or food from there, and for ten years Hannibal had to depend on what he could get in Italy. For he stayed altogether fifteen years in that country, fighting desperately, and always hoping for the help from Carthage, which came at last, but too late. He marched from the north to the south of Italy, winning three great battles, for he was a splendid general, and when he actually got the Romans to fight, he often won. At the Battle of Cannae, it is said that 80,000 Romans were killed, and that Hannibal sent 10,000 gold rings to Carthage, taken from the fingers of the dead Roman nobles, to show how great had been his victory. It was a dreadful misfortune, but the Roman people and Senate never lost heart for a moment. New soldiers were enlisted, and the defenses of Rome itself were made stronger. Hannibal was never able to take Rome itself, and for years he remained in the south of Italy, hoping for help from his brother in Spain and from the people in Carthage. At the same time, Scipio, a brave young Roman general, was fighting the Carthaginians in Spain and took for Rome their capital there, the great town called New Carthage. 
Hannibal's brother had been left to rule in Spain, but Hannibal was always hoping that he would be able to come with a new army to help him in Italy. At last he came, but was met by a Roman army in the north of Italy. His army was destroyed, and he himself killed. The first that Hannibal heard of it was when the head of his brother was suddenly thrown into his camp. It was a terrible warning, and Hannibal, full of grief and horror, cried, I see the doom of Carthage. The Romans, too, felt that this was a turning point in the struggle. They went nearly mad with joy, crowding to their temples to praise their gods. The women, dressed in their most beautiful clothes, took their children with them to join in the thanksgiving. Hannibal still waited sadly in the south of Italy until he was called back to defend Carthage itself. Scipio had left Spain, where he had won all the lands belonging to the Carthaginians and had taken an army into North Africa. The Carthaginians begged Hannibal to come back and defend them, and so after fifteen years in Italy, he sailed away to his own country again. It is said that he cried as he looked back on the Italian shore, for he knew that he would never now have the thing which he had spent his life to win. At Zama, near Carthage, he fought against Scipio and lost. At last, Hannibal gave up all hope. He himself advised the people of Carthage to make peace with Rome. He knew that there was now no hope that Carthage should be greater than Rome. Hannibal must have been all the more sad when he remembered that his long and bitter struggle with Rome would make the Roman people harder in their conditions of peace. These were, indeed, terribly hard for Carthage. She had to give up her navy, except a few warships. Five hundred of the ships were burnt by the Romans, under the eyes of the people of Carthage, just outside the harbor. All her land in Spain was now to belong to Rome, and each year for fifty years she must pay a large sum of money to Rome to make up to the Romans for the expenses of the war. The Carthaginians had to give up all their prisoners, too, and though they were allowed to keep their own laws, they were to fight against the enemies of Rome when she asked them, and so they could hardly be called free from this time. Carthage had, indeed, hardly made good use of her wealth and power, but it is impossible not to feel sorry for her fall. So ended the Punic Wars. Later we shall see how Carthage dared once more to rise up against Rome, and how she was burnt to the ground. Hannibal was dead before this. For some time after he made peace with Rome, he stayed in Carthage, and did all he could to bring order and prosperity to the city. He found that when the affairs of the city were properly managed, the money could be paid each year to Rome, and yet less need be taken from the people in taxes. But some of the people said that Hannibal only wanted to make them rich, so that he could make them fight Rome again. They even told the Romans that he was plotting with their enemies, and messengers were sent from Rome to Carthage, asking that Hannibal should be given up to the Romans. But he had made up his mind to escape and sail away to another land. 
He was afraid that the people in the ships in the harbor of Carthage would stop him, so he invited all the captains to a great feast and begged them first to lend him the sails of their ships to make an enormous tent in which the feast should be held. This they did, and when they were all rejoicing and making merry, he slipped away to his ship, and even when it was known that he had gone, it was many hours before the ships could be got ready to follow him. He fought for some years on the side of first one enemy of Rome and then another, but these were the days when the Romans were winning in all their battles, and at last Prussia's king of Bithynia, whom he was helping, agreed to give him up to the Romans. But Hannibal preferred to kill himself rather than be given into the hands of his lifelong enemy. When he knew that all the doors of his house were guarded by soldiers ready to take him if he should come out, he drank poison and so died. His life story is very wonderful and strange, but it was a pity that so clever a statesman and so brave a soldier should have given his whole life to a hopeless revenge. End of chapter 12